If you do not have an outline of the sermon, they were in the bulletin, please raise your hand, Brother uh, Steve will make sure you get one. Everyone, we want you to have an outline of the sermon today so you can follow along. And if you need to, you can take a pencil or pen and make some notes. Also, during the week, you can have time to, uh, to study what we've gone over. We by no means can complete this uh, particular message, but uh, you want to study it throughout the week, and it's a good place to study John chapter 5. Let us read, if you will, several verses of Scripture that is found in St. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. Is it not lawful for you to carry your bed? He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who had, was healed did not know who he, it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Verse 14, Afterward Jesus found him, in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let us pray. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak it to our hearts. And Lord, as the seed is sown this morning, we ask that there would be much fruit that will spring from that seed and bless hearts and lives. Meet the needs of each and every heart, every life, every person, every family, every home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you will, look at your notes. Notice the introduction. This is the third of seven signs in John. As most of you know, this makes our third sermon on St. John, speaking of the miracles, which, by the way, they're called in John, signs. This is the third miracle that we have been sharing on. The first three signs show how a person is saved. 
salvation through the word and the first miracle, water into wine. Secondly, by faith, healing of the nobleman's son, which we covered last Sunday. And by grace, healing of the impotent man. And this is what we're on today. And then the last four signs as we go through this show the results of salvation. First of all, I love this. First of all, satisfaction, feeding of the 5,000. Second of all, peace, still in the storm. Thirdly, life, healing the blind man. And then last, life, raising of Lazarus. And we took this from Warren Risby's writings, which is so informative. But notice what we have following this. This miracle begins with Jesus traveling to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. By the way, this feast happened to be the Passover. There were a lot of people in Jerusalem at this particular time. There he passed by the Bethesda pool where a number of invalids had placed themselves. Supposedly, at certain times, an angel would come down, stir the water, and the first person that would get into that water would be healed. I don't know. Uh, this is possible. I do know one thing, that uh, if we're not careful, we will be exploited certainly by giving false hope. And a lot of people today are being and is exploited simply by giving them false hope, whether it's certain uh, ministries on television, whether it's certain churches, whether it's certain doctrines that people have. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ does not give false hope. I'm here to tell you today, 2017, that God Almighty, through and by the power of God, is still in the healing business. Doesn't matter if it's physical, doesn't matter if it's spiritual. Often we need spiritual healing in our, body, in our lives. Often we need physical healing in our bodies. So, I, so I'm, I just know without a shadow of a doubt that God Almighty, through his word, and by the way, through experiences, God is a God of healing. God will heal us if we will dare trust him. Notice, first of all, the place where this happened. It was the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda. Uh, the word Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace or flowing, Bethesda. I'm reminded of the great naval Bethesda Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, but it was named by Roosevelt, how that so many people, and it's, it's just a large facility, and that people go there. That's named after the healing or the mercy or the grace. Of course, don't tell someone that. They might want to go tear it down or change the name if they find out it's a biblical name. Bethesda means house of mercy or grace. But notice what it said. And I want you to know something, that God never put in the Scripture anything that was not necessary. And he says here in this particular place that it was by the sheep gate. 
the sheep gate. Why was it mentioned that this pool was beside or next to the sheep gate? Keep in mind there were ten gates that surrounded Jerusalem. Ten gates. All of these ten gates have a specific message or analogy for us today and for those that certainly love the word of God. The first one that is mentioned certainly is the sheep gate. And this was named over in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 at the rebuilding of the walls by Nehemiah and the Jews that had come back from bondage. Notice in chapter 3, then Eliasib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priest and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of Mia and consecrated it, then as far as the tower of Haniel. Now why, why is it important that this pool was next to the sheep gate? Why is it important that the sheep gate is even mentioned? Let me tell you about this sheep gate. It was built so they could take the sheep and the lamb into the temple for sacrifice. That's where they would bring the sheep into the temple that they might be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Now, Jesus said, I am the shepherd of the sheep. But notice in chapter 10 of St. John, notice between verses 7 and 9, what he says. So Jesus said again, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So this door played a very important role when it comes to the description of the temple and the courtyard. Jesus says, I am the door of the of the sheep leading to life, all who came before me as false messiahs and certainly self-appointed leaders, this is the Amplified, are thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and what? Out freely and find pastor, and certainly find spiritual security. Now, this sheep gate was a gate where those that came to offer sacrifice for their sins would carry the sacrificial lamb and sheep. But keep in mind, these sheep only went in. They never came out. Why? Because they were slaughtered. And our Savior stands here, not on a hillside with with solemnity, not on the hillside in the quietness and the shepherds are abiding by the sheep and they're eating the grass and it's, it's wonderful, it's a wonderful sight. But Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep while in the hustle and bustle and slaughter of the sheep. And Jesus is saying this to these people. I am the door of the sheep. In other words, I am the sacrificial lamb. 
I am the one that's to give my life for humanity. And when you come to me and accept me as your personal Savior, you can go in and out freely. In other words, you just don't have to go in and be treated anyway by the devil and slaughtered and mistreated. For I give my life to you that you might have life, have it more freely, and you can go in and out at your leisure. I love this story. I like the idea that the pool of Bethesda was beside of the sheep gate, how important it is. In fact, of all the ten gates that surrounded Jerusalem in the wall of Jerusalem, of all the ten gates, the sheep gate was the first one that was mentioned. In other words, you first of all, in order to enjoy the blessings of God and the abundance of Jesus Christ and all the other things that go along with it, we must first of all be willing to go through that gate and accept the atonement of Jesus Christ. Is that all right? Yeah. It's important that we understand that Jesus is teaching a message here. It's important that we look beyond the miracle and see the message. It's important that we look beyond the miracle and experience the message. Not just see it, not just read it, but experience what Jesus Christ is teaching. It is very, very important. The sheep gate proclaims forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ breaks into the courtyard and says, listen, I give my life, I go to the cross of Calvary, and whosoever can come and accept that freedom and that life and that abundance that I give to him or to her. Powerful message. I could close my message now and say, hey, that's powerful. But let's continue on, if you will. Let's notice the impotent man. First of all, the house of mercy was a house of misery for many people. There were many people, there were five porches that were here, large overhanging porches. And here was the hospital. Here was a lot of sick people. Here, Here was a lot of infirm people that had gathered by no doubt the hundreds, and they were waiting for the moving, certainly, of the water. It was a hopeless situation. You may think today that you're facing a hopeless situation. I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ is the answer for your problem. Preacher, you're just saying that because you get paid to say it. No. I'm saying it because it's true. I'm saying it because I've experienced it. I'm saying it primarily and mainly because God, God's word tells us there is not a problem that God will not solve for us. Maybe not the way we want it. It may not turn out how we thought it would turn out. I prayed about it and it didn't happen that way. I'm here to tell you, if you'll trust Jesus Christ, he will always come through and make a way for you. This was a hopeless, or these were hopeless situations. 
But this man was asked an important question. Follow me. Stay with me. Listen to me. All these people here, Jesus picked one person out of this crowd. One that had been lying there, no telling how long. We do know he had been sick for 38 years. Back then, that's about as how long people lived. They died quite young. So he'd been living most of his life crippled, infirmed. And yet Jesus Christ, the all-knowing God, the all-compassionate God, looks at this man and says, would you be made whole? You want to be healed? Is that a rhetorical question or what's going on in Jesus' mind? It is very important for us to understand why Jesus asked this question. He didn't ask him, are you trying to get in the pool? He didn't ask someone to build a ramp and come so we could help move him into the pool. He didn't say anything to the people that would not help him get into the pool. Jesus simply asked the question, will you be made whole? The Lord's message to him is loaded with faith. I want you to notice something. First of all, notice the three things. First of all, he said, rise, get up. Get up from where you are. This is a word of action. It's a word of action. Second of all, he says, take up your pallet. Now, why did he tell him to take up his pallet? First of all, why did he tell him to get up when he'd been there 38 years? I mean, here's a man of miracles. You say miracles stopped with the early church. Miracles stopped with Jesus. Miracles stopped with the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul. Oh, no, they didn't. They're still real today. You want to see a miracle? Look on the front pew of this section on that end, and you'll see a miracle. That man's been at the point of death so many times, you would give up on him. But the day he sits here and he's healed by the power of God. That's a miracle. You want to see a miracle? Second pew on this section. Ask that gentleman about his, his miracle. Back when he was young, he was destined to eat baby food the rest of his life. The doctors at Duke said, you're going to eat baby food the rest of your life. Hands were laid on him and prayed for him. He eats fried chicken. <laughs> Pastor, I don't believe in all that stuff. You come too late. They say a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. They've experienced it. He's a healer. He wasn't just a healer at the pool of Bethesda. He wasn't just a healer back during Paul and, and Silas's and all the disciples' day. He was, he's a healer today. And I don't know why he don't heal everyone. I've prayed for people and they die. But I've prayed for people and they've been healed. We prayed for a lady... Brother Johnny one time had a cancer this big on her arm and it fell off. Amen. Oh, let me move on because I believe that God is a healer, but he told him, take up your pallet. 
In other words, get rid of something that you might use to have a relapse. See, this guy meant business. If he'd had whatever conveniences today, he might have had some of those conveniences. He, had, he, he was there to stay. I mean, he brought his bed. We're going to be here for a while. Jesus said, you're not going to need that pallet anymore. Take it up. Get rid of it. Notice what I've got written here. Go home, pour out your alcohol. You, you really believe God delivered you from alcohol? Then go home and pour it out. But I might need it. Not if you've been set free. You don't need that stuff anymore. And we need to quit making provision for the flesh. Amen? Go home and get rid of the drugs. Well, if I, it costs me so much and I've got it hid. My wife don't know where it's at. My family don't know where it's at. Get rid of it. Get rid of anything. You've been set free from pornography? Get rid of those books. Get rid of that website. Take up that pallet and get out of here. Move. Don't make provision for the flesh. Amen? Burn your bridges. Say no to the friends who have been luring you into evil. I'm amazed at people that say, oh, I want to be free, and then they go right back to the same crowd that they piled around with before they were saved. It's important. He said, rise, take up your pallet. And then he said, walk. Do what's unexpected. Walk. I haven't gotten up by myself in 38 years and you are telling me to walk. Jesus said walk. Once you rise, pick up your pallet, start walking, start making progress. You've been set free around this altar. Don't walk out the church and not come back to church no more. Walk. Walk back to church. You've been delivered and set free, walk. Read your Bible. You've been delivered and set free, walk. Give. It's, it's, it's an action word. Do something. Yeah. We say, oh, God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. And then we fold our arms, and we just wait for him. To, he's not going to do it all. I don't believe this man would have ever gotten up if he hadn't made an effort to stand up. It's important. Stand up. Rise up, take up your pallet, and walk. Walk. The immediate reaction, of course, we go through with the people that reacted because of that. Let me move down to the lessons. I'm going to skip that number three. Look at the lessons learned. Desire always creates momentum. Exceptional desire gets exceptional results. Do you want it? That's what Jesus was asking this man. Do you want to be healed? I never forget, I prayed with a man for, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. He'd come to the altar. I found out later some things was in his life he didn't want to give up. He didn't want to be set free. Can I tell you something that I believe with all of my heart? I have never seen a man or a woman that really wanted something from God, desired it, 
and that obeyed God. They prayed. The Bible says if we seek his face, if we pray, cry out to God. I've never seen one person that didn't get it. And I'm talking about a spiritual thing now. I'm talking about deliverance. I'm talking about being set free. Whether it was habits, whether it was unforgiveness, whether it was pride, whether it was lust, whether it was anger. I told you my story about being obsessed, bound with anger year after year after year. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I thought, sure, I'd conquered anger many times. I made my family miserable. I made my wife miserable. My life was miserable. Because every time I thought I got over anger, it was right back. This is important. I know many of you have heard it many times. This is important. The first thing I did, I made up my mind I was going to give up anger. Now, you can go down to the altar and pray all you want to, but you've got to have a made-up mind. If you're an alcoholic, my brother's told me many times, and you most of you know, he was an alcoholic most of his life. He had to drink in the morning just to be able to go to work. He had to drink in the morning just to stop being so nervous. But one day he walked down that aisle, knelt right here, Gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Never took another drop. You know why? He wanted it. And he made up his mind. A lot of people say they want it. They don't want it. They say they want to be free. They want to be, they want to be delivered. They don't want it. If you desire it, let me say it again. Exceptional desire gets exceptional results. The Bible says he that hungereth and thirst after righteousness perhaps will be filled. Huh? Huh? That's God's word. And you can claim and you can play around and you can act like all you want to. But when you want it and you want it bad enough, you'll go after it. The first thing I did was fast seven days. The second thing I did, I... I, I, I took a risk. I, I, I was reading Mark Evans' book. I, Carol showed it to me, and uh, I just love this book. On chapter 13, it's called Firefly. The book is called Fireflies on the Bedpost. Fireflies on the Bedpost. Chapter 13 says, are you willing to risk? Notice some of the highlights. Better is never possible without risk. Do you want to be made whole. Do you want it? That's the reason Jesus answered him, asked him that question. Familiarity the, is the enemy of risk. That man had laid there for 38 years. It's time for him to start thinking different. It's time for him to get up. It's time for him to get rid of that pallet. What's the little boy that has the blanket as his security? Stop being lineless. Start using, stop using that security. We, we, you know, we, we, we go right back. We go right back. God don't want us to. Another thing in that book, will you risk where you are to be where you want to be? A little quiet. 
He says here, maybe, Mark Evans, maybe one reason you are where you are is that your actions and emotional habits outweigh your desire. When your wife looks at you and tells you, I'm going to leave you, I'm not going to put up with your anger anymore. Because I'd ask her to forgive me and I'd ask her to forgive me. And I, you know, you make up in your mind. You fast and you, st- I, I, re- I took a risk. I stood up twice in the church in public. Oh, I don't want nobody to know what I'm going through. I don't want nobody to know what I'm dealing with. Tell it if you can. There's certain things you certainly can't tell. Share your burden. Share your need. Tell a good friend. Tell a good brother and sister in the Lord. And that's what I did. I asked the people in the church. I said, would you pray for me? I have a spirit of anger. And the third thing I did, which was the hardest, I became accountable to my pastor. See, I didn't want to do that. See, when you get angry and you're very angry and he knows it and you see him coming across the parking lot to your place of business, and you hate every step he's taken. But you know he's coming to straighten you out. You see, we don't like that. We don't want nobody else knowing what's going on. We don't want nobody else checking up on us. We don't want to be accountable. There's a lot of people wouldn't be in the trouble that they're in if they became accountable to someone else for their needs. And the scripture, of course, is, is filled with that. Let me tell you what happened to my life many, many, many years ago. Let me tell you what happened. God set me free from anger. You say, brother, do you get angry now? Mm-hmm. Does it control me? Mm-mm. There's a big difference. If anger is controlling you, if lust is controlling you, if unforgiveness is controlling you, if any of these things are drugs or alcohol, anything, Anything, make up in your mind, I'm going to get rid of it. Number two under number four, ask yourself, have I developed an addiction to my affliction? Stop petting it. Stop petting it. Make up your mind. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 42, 1, I love the Amplified, as the deer pants longingly for the water brook, so my soul pants longingly for you. How long has it been since you've really longed, desired for God to move in your life? We can talk about it. Then we can go on about our business and watch the Panthers play, you know. We can do whatever we want, but it's important that we say to God, God, I'm tired. You get serious with God and see, don't God get serious with you? He asked this man, do you want to be? Notice number three, God don't want to disturb you if you like where you are. I go pick up groceries for a shut-in. And I go to Kroger's down at South Point. There's a woman stands there with a nice sign. I mean, this sign says she's there. She's going. I mean, she's ready. Well, her husband or her mate 
stands down at the other corner. Sometimes they switch back and forth. Now, please don't go away and say that I don't care for people that's in need. I do. But when it comes to these people and a lot of people, God, listen, God don't want to disturb you if you like where you are. These people like where they are. Not everybody. Not all the people that stand on the corner with a sign. Not everyone. But many of them like where they are. He said, how do you know? Our church was on Main Street. And we had a lot of people wander in our church. We had a lot of people wanted help. And we helped them. I would go and get them out from under the bridges. I'd take them to the restaurant and give them food. I would buy them tickets, bus tickets to go to Virginia. I, I, would, I would go get them medicine. I helped and helped and helped. Don't mind. Some of them needed it. Most of them didn't need anything because they were right back where they were when I helped them the first time. They don't want to change. And a lot of people don't want to change. Leave me alone. I like where I am. And that's the reason Jesus asked this man, do you want him? Refuse to be bound by circumstances You are in the place of mercy and deliverance. That very place was called the seat of mercy, the house of mercy, the house of flowing, the house of grace. That's where you are today. This place right here, it could be this church. It could be Mount Bethel across the street. It could be Rose of Sharon down the street, wherever, or it could be at your house. Riding down the highway in your automobile. Everywhere you meet the condition and say, God, this is it. I mean business. I'm tired of this lifestyle. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to drugs. Don't give in to pornography. Don't give in to gossip. Don't give in to sin. Stand up and say, God, you're more powerful. Listen, God's more powerful than anything. And if we'll trust him, he will do it. How bad do you want it? That's what he was saying. Do you want it? How bad do you want it? Do you want to be free? And stand up. It might take an effort. It might take an effort. We've come to the place that we're too ashamed. If I would ask you to bow your head and if you have a need, raise your hand, stand at your feet, come to this altar. If I'd ask you to do that by yourself, 90-some percent of you, probably 100% wouldn't do it. You're not going to be exposed. We don't want to be exposed anymore. We don't want to, hey, we, we, we don't want to appear we need any help. I need help. Do you need help? In some measure, I think we need help. Now, don't you get mad at me because I said that. Because it's important. It's important that we're willing to say, God, I don't care who's looking at me. I don't care what someone would say about me. I like what you know about me. I like what you know about where my heart is, my life is. And I know I'm bound. I can't sleep good at night. I can't do this. I can't do the other. I am bound and I need to set free. And I intend to be set free. Because I, by faith, I'm going to stand up. 
By faith, I'm going to take up my pallet. By faith, I'm going to start walking with God, and I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start loving my neighbor. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start serving God. I made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. It won't happen until we make up our mind. I'm going to say it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst at the righteousness, for they shall.